Hey, it's good to see you all. Uh, we are in Acts chapter 4 today, so if you have your Bible, um, and if you don't have a Bible, see me or see Bob or, or J-Lo or Tim and we'll get you a Bible, okay? We'll solve that problem for you. Uh, we uh, have lots of Bibles. Uh, we want to talk today about uh, one of the greatest enemies of Christianity, Think about it. What's one of the greatest enemies of Christianity? Think right now for a second. Uh, any thoughts? Greatest enemies of Christianity. Uh, secular humanism, right? Islam, I heard somebody say. What? Okay, false teachers, yeah. Uh, but, but surprisingly, one of the greatest enemies of Christianity, are you ready for this? Is religion. Religion. And, and today we're going to look at Religion versus a relationship, okay? Uh, we're going to see people who are committed to uh, religious rules and uh, a system that they thought was uh, of God. They thought they were doing good, but there was no relationship with Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, we'll see there was genuine hatred. The religious leaders of Israel were powerful and prominent and they knew their Old Testament better than any of us. I don't care how long you've been in church, I don't think any of us have memorized the Old Testament. Have you, Steve? Can I, can I just fire off, you know? Uh, anybody think marvelous? No? You know, can't just say Daniel 4, 6, quote it. Uh, again, they knew the Old Testament meticulously. They, they were well-trained. They were educated. They were the educated by the leading rabbis of the day. They were immersed in all of the Old Testament ritual and all of the Old Testament detail. And yet, give me your eyes, and yet when the focus, the star of the show, the Messiah appeared, the one that the Old Testament was pointing to every time, they missed him. That's sobering. They knew the Old Testament scriptures better than any of us could ever imagine knowing it. And yet, when the one the Old Testament talked of and spoke of came right in their, in their presence, they rejected him. And uh, those same religious leaders sent the Messiah to the cross. Uh, they were so caught up in their rules and their regulations and their religious system, they missed the Savior of the world when he was right in front of them. Today, these same religious leaders, track with me now, it's been eight weeks approximately, about eight weeks. Eight weeks later, after they rejected Jesus and... Uh, extinguished their Jesus problem by handing him over to Pilate and the Roman soldiers, eight weeks later, these same Jewish leaders are now dealing with the followers of Jesus. Okay? So, so they thought they had dealt with their Jesus problem, but now the apostles, specifically Peter and John, God has used to heal a lame man, and the crowds are going nuts. Everybody knew the lame man. Everybody recognized this guy's been there for decades, and no one could deny that something miraculous has happened. And everybody's excited and responding positively to the message of Peter and John. 
Now here's the truth. These religious leaders must do something about these Jesus people or it's going to get out of control. Hopefully you're with me in Acts chapter 4. When religion squares off against a relationship, okay? Uh, Those that are devoted to a religious system, rules and regulations come face to face with those who are devoted to Jesus Christ and are filled with his Holy Spirit. That's what we're looking at today. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. Let's stand together. Stand if you're able. And we'll read out loud and declare to one another uh, what religion versus relationship is all about. Acts 4, verse 1. Let's read together. The priests and the captains of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for your word. It's, uh, it's a lamp, it's powerful, it's alive, and Lord, it's exactly what we need. So thank you for uh, getting it to us. Thank you for uh, inspiring Dr. Luke to write it down on parchment. Um, thank you, Lord, for preserving it all these years later. Lord, thank you for your inspired book. And I'm praying specifically today, Lord, that you'll show us the difference between religion and a relationship. May everybody in here leave here today knowing the difference. And may that same spirit that enabled Peter to speak with boldness and courage, may that same spirit that inspired Dr. Luke to write down exactly the words you wanted written down, may the very same spirit that uh, took control there in the book of Acts, may that same spirit illuminate 
and shine bright in your church today. Uh, Lord, we, uh, we need to hear from you. We need to have an encounter with you, the living God. And Lord, we know you do that today through your word and through your spirit. So Lord, speak uh, through these weak and goofy lips of mine. Lord, open up our ears, soften our hearts. We're ready to hear and respond to what you have to say to us today. Lord, we also recognize it's been a busy week. Hectic, scheduled. Many of us today, honestly, are just worn out. And perhaps, Lord, we haven't taken time to do a little inventory on our lives. So, Lord, would you show us uh, if our lives, spiritually speaking, smell this morning? Lord, if there's sin that we haven't dealt with, words that we've said that shouldn't have been spoken, thoughts, attitudes, motives that went through our brains that shouldn't have occurred, Lord, our hands participating in things, our, our ears listening to stuff, our eyes looking at stuff that you call sin, would you point that out right now? And as you make yourself clear, even right now, Lord, we're not going to ignore it, we're not going to excuse it, we're not going to shove it under the rug, Lord, we're going to do the U-turn and we're going to run to the cross. And Lord, as we go to the cross, what you're making clear, we call it the same thing. You call it sin, we call it sin too. And based on 1 John 1, 9, Lord, we confess what you're making clear. We confess it as sin. And we're asking that you might wash and cleanse and purify and make us ready to hear from you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, the Messiah. And Lord, my prayer is that that relationship with your son, Jesus, would become the most important thing to each and every one of us here today. And may nothing even come close to that, that daily relationship that we all need. And all the church gathered at Walloon Lake said, with joy. You may be seated. Chapter 4, verse 1. The religious leaders of Israel gather around Peter and John after they finish speaking to the crowd. You can imagine you've just had this amazing opportunity to speak to thousands and now the bigwigs gather around you. Chapter 4 and verse 1 tells us who they were. The priests, these would be the Levites, the ones serving, taking care of the sacrificial system. Uh, the priests are part of those who gather around. Um, look at verse 1. The captain of the temple guard, that's the, the police chief for the temple grounds. He was in charge um, of the grounds around Solomon's temple. This was the same man who had Jesus arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, Luke chapter 22, verses 52 to 54. So this guy's already had eight weeks earlier an experience with Jesus, and he was the one who arrested Jesus. Uh, and then finally, chapter 4, verse 1, look at it, a group of guys 
by the name of Sadducees. Sadducees. Um, let me give you a little history, okay? Um, I'll go fast because I know some of you, this, you're going to fall asleep on me. So wake up because this is important. Because most of the persecution in the book of Acts was from these guys, the Sadducees. So it's pretty important we understand. These were the wealthy elites. They were the blue bloods. They were the ones who controlled the sacrificial system. Um, they were in charge. Okay? They were small in number, but they were mighty in power. And the high priests were very wealthy. Matter of fact, Josephus, the historian, listen, tells us that Annas, one of the guys mentioned in verse 6, he was the guy who came up with the idea, hey, why don't we start selling animals and changing money in the temple area? Josephus says that was Annas' idea. He was the one who instituted that thinking, and, and it made them very, very wealthy men as a result. And remember what Jesus thought about that, that selling of animals, that changing of money. What did Jesus do twice? At the beginning of his ministry, at the end of his ministry, what does he do? <clears throat> he drives out the money changers, drives out the tips over tables, uh, he hated that whole system that Annas here has installed. Their motto was, don't rock the boat, baby, okay? Uh, don't rock the boat, don't make any waves, make sure the status quo is maintained because we don't want to tick off Rome. That was their, their, their idea. Uh, and they wanted to make sure they maintained power so in order to maintain power, they didn't want to make waves and make them angry. So um, the Romans didn't want any one person to get too much power. Track with me. So they forced every few years them to rotate the office of high priest. But Annas, Josephus tells us, was very good at uh, lining palms and paying bribes and payoffs. And therefore, he rotated the high priest's office through his family. And you'll notice verse 6 is mentioned, uh, Caiaphas, who is Annas' son-in-law, and Jonathan was his son. They all took turns being the high priest. Okay? So uh, these guys were, were the power folks here. They also were the liberals of the day. Give me your eyes liberal regarding their theology. They didn't believe in the miraculous. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in demons. They didn't believe in uh, Satan. They didn't believe in the resurrection. Uh, they were the liberals of the day, and they hated anybody who was preaching and teaching the miraculous or the resurrection from the dead. And that's going to come into play in a little bit. They, they were very much the liberals. Uh, so verse 2, keep going with me, you can understand why they were greatly disturbed, annoyed, irritated, incensed, that word can be translated, when they heard the teaching of Peter and John. Hey guys, you're messing up the status quo, you're, you're rocking the boat here, you're making waves, and we don't like what you're teaching. Okay? Um, again, these religious leaders thought they'd already dealt with their Jesus problem. 
when they put their leader, Jesus Christ, on the cross 50-some days earlier, okay? And now his followers are causing another scene in the temple. Now they have another Jesus problem. And if that's not bad enough, look at verse 2, the last part. Look at what they were teaching, that Jesus had been what? Resurrected from the dead. So, so they seize Peter and John and perhaps the healed man, okay? I, I don't know. It doesn't say it here, but we do know the next morning, and we'll see it, that he's there with Peter and John when they appear before the Jewish leaders, okay? So for sure they, he, they seize Peter and John. Maybe they say, you can go home, but we'll see you in the morning. But anyway, uh, they seize them overnight and jail them till the next morning. And I like verse 4. Verse 4 is a little parenthesis where Dr. Luke just gives you some input uh, inspired by the Lord himself. It says, verse 4, they seized the spokesman for Jesus and the gospel. They've seized Peter and John, but the early church was not going to be stopped. You tracking with me? It continued to grow. And it says, verse 4, there's over 5,000 strong who've said yes to Jesus and now are devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Okay? It's growing. It's on the march. They could arrest Peter and John. You can arrest the spokesman, but you're not going to stop the spread of the message of Jesus Christ. That's basically what Dr. Luke wants us to get, verse 4. Then he moves on, verse 5 with the story. Pay attention, okay? Religion in verse 5 is on full display, okay? And notice where religion is focused. What's the passion of the religious? Verse 5, here we go. The next day, the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. So was Caiaphas, John Alexander, others of the high priest family. Uh, they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. And here's the question. By what power, by what name did you do this? Okay? They didn't even want to say what they did. By what power, by what authority did you do this? This was the same group of men, the same Council, Luke chapter 22, verse 66, that had condemned Jesus to death. Okay? So understand who these guys are. And now the 70 plus high priests, scholars, uh, they were the rulers, the wealthy, the Pharisees, the leaders, the teachers of the law, all the. Imagine them in their, their robes and their ornate hats. Okay, because when they assembled, they were looking good. They, they were like the supreme court of the day. And, and now, stepping up before these 70 plus the high priest are two dusty, sweaty fishermen who'd spent the night in chains. Tracking? The, these two guys, Peter and John, never went to school, never went to seminary, never had any training. They've got no lawyer. They've got no advocate. Man, it's like two simple Davids 
Remember back in the Old Testament, David against Goliath? So we got these two simple Davids, Peter and John, squaring off against 71 religious Goliaths, okay? And now the Sanhedrin will gather and we will intimidate and we will manipulate and we will paralyze you with who we are and what we're all about. In verse seven, uh, I, I don't think I'll do it justice. I, it's probably like, by what power? By whose authority? I'm sure they had English accent. Did you do this, don't you think? I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the way it was. They were trying to intimidate and manipulate and paralyze the lips, the minds, the hearts of Peter and John. They were most interested in protecting their reputations. They were most interested in protecting their positions and their power and their wealth. And, and these guys were a direct threat to their power. That's what they were focused on. Now as these untrained, unschooled fishermen respond, pay attention to the words they spoke to this intimidating threatening group of people. Verse 8. It's pretty cool. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, the 71 rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, <laughs> then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. How's that about in your face, okay? Jesus is the stone that you builders rejected, but now he's become the cornerstone of the church, of the kingdom. And verse 12 Salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Verse 8 is huge. Did you look at it? Religion lacks the filling, the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? Religion never has the presence of Jesus form, form living right here. Uh, religion doesn't have that. Only those with a personal relationship are able to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Religion, you got your own strength, your own power, your own ideas. It, it's all man-centered. It's what am I going to do? But I want you to understand, if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and you've said yes to Jesus, listen closely, you have the very same Holy Spirit that Peter and John did back here in Acts chapter four. All born again followers of Jesus Christ are gifted with the presence of the Holy Spirit. We have Jesus in spirit form living right here. Listen balcony, but it's a choice. Every day it's a choice. It's a decision. Am I going to take the time to get clean? Remember we did that as we were praying? Am I going to take the time to invite Jesus to come and take charge of my life? Jesus, streams of living water, I need to flow in my life today. 
John 7, 37 through 39. So we have the very same Holy Spirit. The question is this, are you ready? Are we making use of the power demonstrated here in Peter and John? The power's available, but are we taking the time to allow the Spirit, the very same Holy Spirit, to take up residence and flow through us like streams of living water? Peter has a personal relationship with the living Jesus Christ, verse 8. And he allows the Holy Spirit to flow through him with boldness and courage as he speaks to the religious leaders. And I'm telling you, what he has to say to them is amazing, okay? It's like he takes a a flaming spear, word-wise, and fires at him. Look what he says. It's by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you boys crucified, but whom God has raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. You want to know why he's here? You want to know who did it? It's Jesus Christ did it. (laughs) And he's the one that you killed, but he didn't stay dead. He's alive, resurrected from the dead. Oh, and by the way, boys, just want you to know, there is no other way to salvation other than through Jesus Christ. You religious boys think you're okay because you got this fancy system, these rules and regulations, but I just want you to know you are in deep trouble because you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And he's the only way. Religion is very focused on being sensitive and inclusive and open-minded and we, we want this for everybody. And they would look at verse 12, look at it, how narrow-minded, how arrogant, how exclusive to say that only in the name of Jesus Christ is there salvation. But if you go back to John 14, 6, do you remember what Jesus said? I am the way, I am the, and I am the, nobody gets to the Father except through I'm just telling you that what Peter repeats here is really the same thing that Jesus has already said in John chapter 14. I want you to understand that religion doesn't like it when we say verse 12 is true. Salvation's found only in the name of Jesus Christ. There's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved other than in and through the name of Jesus Christ. It's a little bit like this. If we uh, head up to uh, Mackinac City and we say, I think I want to get to St. Ignace, Bob, but I don't think I want to pay, what is it, three fifty now to get across, something like that? It's $4 now. Ooh, it's been a week or two since I uh, just went up. Okay, three fifty, four bucks, and then, and then I'm probably going to have to come back. So that's the same again. Okay, so I I I demand I stand. I'm not going to get on the bridge because I'm going to stand on the shore, and I demand another bridge to St. Ignace, and I yell and I scream at that bridge. I don't think you should be the only way to St. Ignace. I want another bridge, and I stand and I shout and I yell. But the fact is what? If you want to go to St. Ignace, there's only one bridge. 
We, we can stand and yell and shout, I think there should be more ways to salvation. I think there should be more paths to eternal life. And we're just standing there shouting at the bridge. And, and Jesus is saying, uh, no one comes to the Father except through me. Salvation is found in no other name other than Jesus Christ. Um, so you can either line your life up with truth and what Jesus said and what God's word said, or you can line yourself up with the religious and be very inclusive, but now you're not lined up with Christ. It kind of, religion, you can line your life up with religion and, and, and have lots of folks be smiling at you, or you can line your life up with Jesus, and it's not always popular. That's really the choice. So how do religious leaders respond to Peter and John and their boldness, full of the Holy Spirit? Verse 13, here we go. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I like that. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign. We can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. They wouldn't even say the name of Jesus, this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Verse 13, they took note. They could tell these guys have been with Jesus. Can people tell by listening and looking at your life that you've spent time with Jesus? Think about it, you know? As you go to work, as you go to school, as you train your children, as you're, you're around your family, can people see that you've spent time with Jesus? Are they saying that? I, I can tell that you've been with Jesus. Verse 14, I like it. They, they were left speechless. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, these guys were good talkers, can I just say? They were excellent uh, debaters, but they had nothing to say back to Peter. His powerful words, the man standing there healed, they all recognized. How could they argue with it? They've got nothing to say. So they cleared the council chamber, verse 15. Everybody get out of here. We got to talk. And then they go into closed discussion, and here's the question, verse 16. What are we going to do with these guys? What on earth are we going to do with this, this group of followers of Jesus and their leaders here? The miracle is obvious, verse 16. Look what they say. Uh, we can't deny what happened, so what should they have done? What should they have done when, they, when the miracle is obvious, they can't deny it, what should these religious leaders have done? Answer, they should have accepted Jesus Christ and, and believed and, and become followers. of. They should have joined Peter and John and said, you're right, 
this is awesome, this is amazing, we believe, and we're going to follow Jesus too. And that's not how religion works. <laughs> Their religious hearts were hard, their religious minds were closed, and they were looking for a way to save face. They wanted to maintain the status quo. Verse 17, we must stop this Jesus stuff from spreading. Even though we realize the name of Jesus has done this miraculous and good thing, we're going to forbid you to ever speak the name of Jesus again. Verse 18, call him back in. Peter and John standing before 71 Jewish leaders. Um, we command you, scare, intimidate, manipulate you. You may no longer talk about Jesus Christ. And it's only been eight weeks since the apostles, the disciples, they saw Jesus stand in the same place. And remember what happened to Jesus? When they went up against the 71, they watched them sentence Jesus to death on the cross. You suppose it ran through their mind that we're about to go to the cross too? What do you think? I, 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 I can't help. They had to be thinking it's going to be bad. It's not going to be good. Um, but here's what they said in response. I, I think this, this is powerful, verse 19. But Peter and John replied, remember they knew what happened eight weeks earlier, um, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him, Jesus? You be the judges. As for us, we can't help speaking about what we've seen and what we've heard. Hold your spot, because they're going to have another encounter in chapter 5. Go over one chapter. Look at verses 28 and 29. Again, ordered, cut it out. Quit speaking about this Jesus. And they say, verse 28, uh, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, yet you fill Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Verse 29, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. You want to know the principle? You can write it down. Um, I suspect in years ahead, it's going to become more important for us to know this principle. Um, for the last uh, several decades, followers of Jesus and churches have pretty much had easy sailing, haven't we? I'm no prophet but I suspect it's going to get harder. It's going to cost us more to be a follower of Jesus in the days ahead. Okay? So here's the principle. We're always to obey those in authority over us. We're always to obey the authorities over us unless that authority commands us to do something that God forbids. We are always to submit to authority unless that authority commands us to do something that God forbids or forbids us from doing something that God commands, or forbids us from doing something that God commands. Let me give you an example. Joseph and Mary. Mary is very, very pregnant, remember? And now the order comes, uh, you will go and you will go to your ancestral home and you will go and you will be paying a tax there in Bethlehem. And she's very pregnant, 
and it's very expensive, and it's very inconvenient. So they said, I'm sorry, but we're not going to obey, right? Is, is that what Joseph and Mary did? With great difficulty, with great cost, with, uh, with lots of inconvenience, they get up and they travel the three or four days and head to Bethlehem. Uh, but something a little different has occurred here now. The Jewish leaders have commanded Peter and John, you will no longer speak about this Jesus. You will no longer speak about what he's done. And now Peter and John are thinking, you know what? Jesus commanded us to be his witnesses. Go back to Acts 1 and verse 8. That was a command. He's commanded us to be his witnesses. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And therefore, Peter and John say, you know what, guys? Um, we'd like to obey. We would obey, except you've banned us from doing something that Jesus has commanded us to do. Um, therefore, we will choose to disobey you and not our commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ. See how that works? But I want to show you one more thing. When they disobeyed, there was a price to pay. Go, go to chapter 5 one more time and, and slide down to verse 40. Um, when they spoke courageously and boldly and then chose to disobey, the next time his speech persuaded them, they called the apostles in, and they had them what? Uh, that little word seems pretty simple there. It, it wasn't simple. We're talking a cat of nine tails ripping their backs open. Uh, a whip with pieces of bone and metal and stone ripping open their backs. And here's the point. When we're called to stand up and we say, you know what, authority, you've called me to do something that would cause me to disobey. Or you've forbidden me to do something that would cause me to disobey. So therefore, I will choose to obey God. Listen closely. There's usually a price to pay. There's usually a price that we must pay. So, five minutes left. What's the takeaway for us? today. Northern Michigan, 2013. What, what, what should we, uh, what should we uh, get from this? And, and here's, here's my point. You ready? Give me your eyes. Don't check out from me yet, yet okay? Uh, the default position for us as followers of Jesus, the one we just naturally go back to, you don't have to work at it, you don't have to try, the default position for us is just to be religious and go through religious motions. I don't think many of you, when you're having a bad day, um, you go to being an atheist or, or something horrible. We just get religious, and we go through religious motions. And it only takes a day or two without opening up God's word. It only takes a day or two without doing the U-turn and getting clean. It only takes a day or two where I don't take time to invite Jesus to take charge, fill me with streams of living water. It only takes a day or two, and I am one selfish, impatient, ugly bugger. Can I hear an amen? You too, Paul. Uh, it's only because I heard your 
voice loudest, but it's true. It only takes like a day or two, and man, are we ornery and mean, and well, I'm still religious. Yeah, but who wants to be around that? I am constantly amazed at how quick we can become mean and ornery. But I'm a follower of Jesus. And, and some of you have asked me how I'm doing, and a, a response I give quite often is mean and ornery. Preston, how are you doing? Mean and ornery, I'll say. Um, you know why? That's a little reminder to me that with no effort, no toil, I'm selfish, old, sinful, all about me, profane Jeff. And you're selfish, old, sinful you. The fruit is spoiled and rotten. Okay? Catch me. And yet we see here in Peter and John, same Holy Spirit, when we take time to get connected with Jesus... When we take the time to daily feast on God's word, when I take time to daily invite him to take charge of my life, fill me with streams of living water, the result is bold and courageous and Christ-honoring, and people notice that they'd spent time with Jesus. Listen, and people will notice that you've spent time with Jesus. I know we live in busy, hectic, scheduled, got more stuff to do than get her done time, right? We're busy people. Here's my challenge as we close. Will you just give it a try and see what 15 minutes before you head off into your day can do for you to make a difference in your world? I challenge you. I dare you. I double dog dare you This next week, seven days, will you take 15 minutes, and that may mean that you got to get up a little earlier. That may mean you leave the radio. I'm not going to listen to Rush or whoever you listen to this morning. I'm actually just going to spend some time talking with the Lord. I'm going to spend some time getting full of Jesus because I just want to see, Lord, if people notice that I've spent time with you. I I just want to see, Lord, What a difference spending time with you, getting filled with your spirit, can actually make in my life. So that's my challenge as we close. Will you just take this challenge for seven days? Will you do what Peter and John did? And that's what made all the difference here. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. The power of Jesus in them flowed out of them, and it made a difference, and it it changed their world. And I believe the same Holy Spirit will do the same in us. Will you take the challenge? Will you take the seven-day challenge? I triple-dog dare you. How about that, okay? And you know, triple-dog dares go first. Okay, so I'll go first. I'm going to do it. How about you? Will you join me? Bow your heads. Shut your eyes as we close. Um, Busy, scheduled, hectic. I know. Are you kidding me, Pastor Jeff? You're asking me to do something else? No, I'm reminding you to do the main thing, the most important thing, the critical thing, the thing that makes us behave like genuine followers of Jesus. How many of you will take the seven-day challenge? Lord, I commit for the next seven days, by your grace, Lord, help me to spend 15 minutes with you before I rush off into my day. 
may cost me a little something, might have to shut the radio off, might have to get up a little earlier this next week. I'm going to have to fight for it, but I want to see, Jesus, how you can use me if I spend one week devoted and focused on being full of you and full of your spirit. See what happens. How many of you would say, okay, I'll take your challenge, and uh, by God's grace, I'm going to give it a go. Can I see hands? How many of you? Seven days, 15 minutes before you rush off into your day. Some of you are already doing, great job. And if you do a half hour, don't cut back to 15. Keep your half hour. Uh, But the truth is, many of you aren't doing much at all. Lord, I pray for my friends. You saw their, their hands. Give them perseverance. Give them strength. Give them faith to take the time to get full of you full of your spirit. Lord, help them to fight for time, to feast on your word, to get clean and do the U-turn and confess, and to invite you and have streams of living water flowing through their lives. And Lord, my prayer is that people might recognize that we've spent time with Jesus. Lord, we don't do this so we can look smart or clever or impressive. Lord, our heart's desire is that Jesus would look good in and through us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen.